You're listening to Oxide Film, written and directed by Matty O'Donovan and Tom Sayre. Hello and welcome to Oxide Film with Tom and Matty. Hello Matthew. Hello Thomas again, how are you? I'm, you know what, really really good. The weather is picking up, Trinity yeah. is kind of coming into full flow and I want to be outside like every day all the Except time. Except we're in this station doing this show. Because we love it more than the weather, don't exactly. we? Exactly. I love it even more than the shining sun outside the window. So what film are we doing this week? So, on a classic impromptu Sunday afternoon outing, we went to see Pokemon Detective Pikachu, which is obviously a masterpiece of cinema, judging by the title. Um, I think this might be the episode where we have the most disagreement between us two about the movie, because for some reason, sort of even unbeknownst to myself, I really enjoyed it. And I think Matty thought it was aggressively meh. But we shall see yeah. in the ensuing discussion. No, definitely. Um, I think before we jump straight into it, you have a mascot that relates to... I have a to, little guest. Yeah, so to the, today's film. A long time ago, when I was at secondary school, a lovely chap called Chris Troop, who I haven't talked to for many years, I hope you're doing well out there, Chris, gave me this cute little Bulbasaur, which is obviously the first Pokemon in the entire Pokedex, mm-hmm. like one of the starter Pokemon from the very first games. It's so cute. It's got uh, red eyes that aren't menacing. At all. A little bit menacing. A little bit menacing. He kind of got the promise of evolution, which is exactly what Pokemon's about. It's got a nice little kind of green tuft that I'm squeezing right now as a stress ball. We'll, and we'll, it's just... we'll definitely take a picture of it and stick yeah, it Yeah, absolutely. On, he is, he is our new staple mascot. Perfect. Okay. We'll see where we go. Okay, first off, I have a clip from the movie. Yeah. Hope you enjoy. Pikachu? Oh, jeez. Hey, little guy. How did you get in here? I know you can't understand me. But put down the stapler, or I will electrocute you. Did you just talk? Whoa. Did you just understand me? Wait, 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 wait. That is heavy eye contact right there. You heard me. No, no, yes, you did. Oh, stop, my stop, God, this stop, is amazing. Stop, stop, you can understand stop, me. Stop. I've been so lonely. That was just a small clip from the movie that we saw yesterday. Do you want me to give a brief overview before we jump into that little Go for it, Matty, yeah. Uh, Once again, this has been very casually stolen from online, but it does uh, justice to the summary of the film. So uh, the synopsis goes as this. Uh, Ace detective Harry Goodman goes mysteriously missing, prompting his 21-year-old son, Tim, who we just heard in the clip, to find out what happened. Uh, Aiding in in his investigation is Harry's former Pokemon partner, wise-cracking, adorable sleuth, Detective Pikachu, Finding that they are uniquely equipped to work together, as Tim is the only human who can talk with Pikachu, they join forces to unravel the tangled mystery. Isn't that exciting? That's exotic description yeah. of the movie. Yeah, no, I, like yeah that, I mean, that's one way, one way of putting it. I mean, that clip is from quite early on in the film, uh, as is to be expected when Tim first meets Pikachu and he finds out that he can, in fact, talk to him and he is the only one who can talk to Pokemon. And it all after this unravels into this brilliant truly engaging detective caper not a hint of irony from matt no eyes. not a hint of, i you know you know me I'm, I'm not a cynic in the sense that i will just have a broad stroke approach for how i treat all children's films if i think a children's film is smart then i think there's something obviously quite enduring about that i will like it you know only a few episodes ago how highly we both were speaking of lego movie 2 you know, it, it can be an intelligent, engaging film that works on several different planes for both adults and children. But this just wasn't self-aware enough to be 
fun or engaging and when you have ryan reynolds who's known for his kitschy deadpool meta humor you think you're going to lean a little bit more into that but it was the plot was very very paint by numbers which i'm sure we'll we'll get into a bit more what what, what did you think i feel like you feel the slight opposite so preliminary thoughts is that it really is a paper thin movie and i agree in terms of the fact that it is a much more surface level experience as a kid's movie than than like a movie two, for example, or various various animations. At the very beginning of the movie, there are kind of small hints that it's going to go in directions where it shows you that it deeply is self-aware and it un- understands yeah. the kind of irony or humor of everything that's going on. And that basically gets dropped by the wayside after maybe 15 minutes, after the Pikachu character goes from ironic comments to just quips every few seconds yeah just just as a point of clarification obviously detective pikachu is is voiced by ryan reynolds hence why i I was referring to it and it is abundant in these quips but much in the same way that people level criticisms against deadpool 2 for having almost a flurry of too many jokes in which you can't really process each one because the next one has already come by this film felt like that except its hit ratio for the laughs just was a lot lot lower i mean just a bit more fleshing out of the premise we sort of have this city in the pokemon world rhine city which is it from the pokemon law I'm i don't think so yeah. all, all i'm aware of are the old kanto and johto regions yeah um, but the new we- the new game is coming out it's gonna be based off the uk and the british isles yeah exciting. so rhine city is kind of amalgamation of this tetropolis sort of i think it was someone like mark commode said it was like almost sub blade runnery you know in the sense it's kind of like obviously it's not as gritty or as intellectually challenging as blade Runner, but as neon soaked but as neon soaked yeah i think that's the right way of putting it and it's sort of an amalgamation between that and then a sort of also futuristic london because there's like the shard in the background of ryan city and there's like buses and it's a, the, the point being is it's an intentional confusing mess because the whole point of this city is pokemon aren't subjugated they live alongside their human trainers or former human trainers and this is where tim heads to to find out the truth about his father's supposed absence slash death and that's really the crux of the kind of mystery but it isn't a mystery it is a mystery in the traditional sense yes they're looking for clues but i don't feel ever in this film like anything is particularly perplexing and i know it has to be kind of fairly paper thin as you said and fairly paint by numbers but i don't know it, it the main conceit of it the trying to find his father it could have just been a bit more engaging but it was kind of stuck between oh look that's a fourth generation pokemon in the corner of your eye and oh look this is the story that we want to tell yeah the last point is is fairly pertinent because it obviously is trying to be a film that can market to as many audiences as possible mm. um and if you're making something like a pokemon movie that's your aim because it will both aim to children who in in the screening that we went to see at the very end of the movie when the kind of title came off at the end there was a young girl who bellowed the title just out of nowhere yeah. for no reason so you appeal to that audience and then also to the audience of nostalgic fans who want to see pokemon just moving around and walking around and saying stuff but yeah i i i, I get that and there's no inherent negative aspect to that like that that is a nice thing it's 
to have a fully realized universe at your disposal that you can sort of map onto this story that's what's going to visually define it from other lesser projects that are trying to introduce new ip like people look at that i mean for example amount of trailers i know it was a lot of kids in that screening but the amount of trailers beforehand they were like buy this pokemon toy beforehand you know like and i'm i'm not being a cynic just saying that that's gonna lessen my opinion of the film but there is that marketability to it that is associated with having all of these characters the issue is you can do that the lego movie did that it almost did that at sometimes maybe too much like oh look here's a lego gandalf oh look here's a lego scooby-doo yeah. group but yeah that, that's cool that's it's like a microcosm of all these different universes and pop culture paraphernalia and characters and stuff that's that's neat but you either do that with a knowing wink to what the plot is about or you don't do it at all when it comes off superficial or you find a kind of middle ground which i think this film never really achieved or never really got into its stride uh and i think that was the problem so initial gripes now out of the way yeah. should we kind of move into plot territory should we do spoilers uh yeah i, I think do, we can do spoilers. do spoilers it's it's not the most spoiler heavy there are spoilers at the end but i i don't think it yeah. will detract your enjoyment yeah if you like no, very much so it's yeah not, it's not a kind of spoilers from here on out yeah what do you want to start with? So let's start with the beginning. Um, yeah, my kind of my biggest complaints will be at this point because <laughs> when the film just started, it rapidly shifted to an extremely unpromising area. Uh, so it's Justice Smith who plays uh, Tim. Tim, and then I think his friend is played by uh, Karan Sony, and they're basically just like trying to catch a little Cubone, which yeah. is a Pokemon with its its mother's skull as like a little cap. Or whatever or a helmet um, or something, and that was one of the, the the funniest things was that they made a joke about the dead relative, which I thought was really funny. And they kind of when they went for the slightly really edgy humor out of nowhere, that was really enjoyable to me. But they kind of tried to catch this Cubone, and we have this massive, heavy-handed exposition about the fact that Tim Justice Smith's character doesn't have a Pokemon partner. Yeah. At this stage in the movie, the acting is pretty dire. Like yeah. they're both not very good at all. The delivery is not very good. They're not young people. Like they're, they're they're not child actors at this point. Yeah. They're playing like twenty year olds or whatever. And at the very beginning, there's some like not amazing animation of flying Pokemon that I wasn't impressed by. Yeah. I, and then there's like just the the most exposition drippy possible moment where like they're walking down the street and talking about his insurance job, yeah. and then he gets a call about his detective dad apparently dying in a car crash. And then, like, cutting immediately to him, like, on a train. Yeah. With, like, sad music and, like, him on the way to the city. And it was just the most... It was the most heavy-handed and laughably silly way of opening all this up no, into this world. Yeah. And you know what's really odd about that as well is that he's, like... There's this line, he goes, oh, I finally got surface again. And he's, like, why do I have four, five voicemails? Who gets five voicemails? And, obviously, they're from the police department. And he picks up his phone, holds it to his ear for about two seconds... And then there's just no emotional response on his face to the fact that his father has seemingly perished, which is just insane. And I, I, you're right, the first 15 to 20 minutes, the acting is inane. It's just boring. And when you have so much fantastical elements, you need strong acting to keep that afloat. And as he moves to Ryan City, it, you're right, it is so clunky and heavy-handed. He's literally watching on a screen on the back of the seat in front of him on a train 
an introduction to Ryan City that is the most exposition-filled nonsense <laughs> I've ever heard. It's like it's like they're, it's like they're giving a brief, abridged version of its history just for anyone who does that on a train. That doesn't make any sense, and it was just so silly and not silly in a good way. And the bit that made me laugh, and I think it made you laugh, and um, someone else that we were with is. Um, the founder of Ryan City and the sort of haven of Pokemon and humans together is played by Bill Nye. And he is so incongruent to this film. It's so laughable. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like, this is the, I'm, I, I'm not making judgments, but this feels like, yes, get this done, get that money in the bank, this role, I'm done with it. Because he just doesn't fit it. You know, any more bland, nefarious villain, I would have probably still laughed, but not as much as he is because it was uh, i had heard nothing about the movie apart from the fact that pikachu was voiced by ryan reynolds and that was all i knew and i was so happy about that when bill nye arrived because i had no idea about his involvement so it was the funniest surprise for him for bill nye of all people to be talking about he he says the word pokemon and that is just like yeah fantastic yeah but but in the in the sort of silly gratifying sense i suppose um so after that kind of five minute struggle of the beginning of the movie be really not very good yeah. at all it for me does pick up slowly and steadily from there and and becomes more enjoyable so he tim gets to his father's flat and there's this like hilarious moment with um catherine someone's character what's her name catherine kenton i think catherine kenton, um, yeah who plays uh newton rather sorry, catherine sorry newton. I, you know this sounds awful but i just don't care like she's <laughs> she's they're all so forgettable they're i forgot half of their names supremely yeah. forgettable characters it's quite impressive really. yeah so she plays lucy stevens who's this like um reporter person who she can sniff a story from a mile away is it's what she says exactly what she says point, about herself which yeah. is the most velma scooby-doo thing yeah. i think i've ever heard but the thing is when she gets introduced she's like in shadow in a dark staircase and you can't see her face and like it it looks like it's setting up to be a punchline for like a silly making it a silly detective movie and there's a moment of that but then it kind of like after she gets introduced to the character there's no sense that it's meant to be funny yeah so like it, it goes it goes from hilarious self-aware parody to wait we're just doing this we're just doing this exactly, now yeah. um and so she kind of thinks she has a story about her that the guy's dad he brushes her aside goes into his flat and at that point he finds out that this pikachu with his father's like dear stalker sherlock holmes hat um with amnesia is there and he's able to talk to the pokemon because of some weird link that we find out later on yeah that's what the clip was alluding yeah. to yeah. and the uh, I think for most people, the biggest appeal of the movie is both that it's Pokemon around the place, but also Ryan Reynolds voicing him. Yeah. And he does Ryan Reynolds. It's yeah. not, it's nothing, it's nothing kind of above that. It very much is like Deadpool 2.0 for a kid's movie with no bloody violence and no swearing. It's like, um, you know, because obviously Disney is taking over Fox and they, like Fox decided to get one last sort of semi cash grab out of Deadpool by doing that sort of PG-13 version of him once upon a Deadpool. Did that happen? Yeah, it was a Christmas version okay. in which they sort of parodied the Princess Bride but then allowed them to like basically take out or stitch in like new scenes to make it PG-13 friendly but remove the violent ones. But the crucial thing is there's similarities between that and Detective Pikachu because it's the same kind of quippy Ryan Reynolds humour but obviously in the former it's a lot more obscene when it's the R-rated Deadpool version. So I, th I think maybe that might have encouraged some 
inspired casting, which I say with a heavy speech marks, because he's fine. Ryan Reynolds is fine in it, but you're right. He's playing Ryan Reynolds playing Pikachu. And it's not like Pikachu has particularly defining characteristics. I'm like, oh no, he's not my Pikachu. I don't care. But you kind of get a bit taken out of it because you're aware who's playing him. Yeah. And I think that that was a little bit of a issue for me. That's true. It was an interesting moment because I didn't have this in this movie, surprisingly enough, even though I knew that it was Ryan Reynolds and obviously so. But in Incredibles 2, which yeah. we talked about a couple of times and I think is, is passable, um, but not the sweeping experience that everyone seemed to think it was at the time there's a moment where um bob odenkirk's character who's like the head of the conglomerate thing in incredibles 2 is talking about his business in their kind of big tower yeah and i suddenly like my mum turned to me and said oh it's bob odenkirk because we're both massive fans of medical soul shout out to mum and there was just a moment where i suddenly like thought that and was watching the movie in cinema and like just had this sort of weird existential meltdown what all, like all i could see was the actors in the studio voicing the characters yeah. um because what i was seeing on screen was characterless um and so similar for ryan Reynolds. i mean the point for the um pg-13 deadpool movie princess bride is already a parody like wh- why are you trying to, to kind of yeah. dig it up from the grave I, I mean i mean we can we can divulge into the pros and cons of that film in of itself but i just think that like it it's trying to exact the formula of Ryan Reynolds and put it on to loads of different characters. And and I'll just reiterate the point. It's not that he's bad. He He's just... I, I think some of it is the writing because the, it is all about the jokes and he can deliver jokes pretty well. But when the first 15 minutes did happen and I was like, oh, okay, part of me has the niggling suspicion that, like most people in the audience, once Pikachu comes, this film's going to come alive a little bit. I didn't get that because I didn't feel like it earned it and I didn't feel like it tried its best to get out of the shell of the first act with him. They just went on their story, yeah. which we should probably progress into because sure. after Tim and uh, Pikachu become friends or sort of unlikely allies, so to speak, they go on a quest to find out what happened to Tim's father, who Pikachu is certain hasn't actually died and has actually either faked his death or some kind of collusion has gone on. From the sounds of what you were saying, this is where you start to enjoy the film a bit more because it started to uh, divulge into the shenanigans of the universe. It started to be a bit more bizarre and funny and silly, but uh, it it felt lesser to me because one of the next things they do do is um, they go to a bar or they find out, and um, this is features prominently in the trailers where you have mr mime which is like a pokemon who mimes everything and it's supposed to be this silly scene in which they interrogate him go cop bad cop but it just doesn't land and it didn't really land with the kids either because it was this weird combination of quite dark but also quite silly do you want to elaborate what the scene was oh yeah so basically they find out that mr mime was informing um tim's dad when he was alive and they find him at the docks and kind of trap him and then the way they get him to talk in inverted commas is to kind of join in with his mime so tim starts miming pouring oil all over him and then like lighting a match or whatever um and obviously that is like really dark but the kind of the way they were handling it was actually sort of fairly inventive with they were kind of had all the sound effects of what was going on without you seeing anything at all because mr mime's got a master mime and can make these noises Mm -hmm. apparently and that was, I agree that it didn't land with the audience, but 
I thought that was inventive enough. Just to go quickly back to when Pikachu is first introduced, the funny thing about this movie is that after I finished it, I suddenly thought to myself, in some senses, it's an exercise in rudiments of a movie, but in the good way for me, because I was thinking about the scene where, so they're in the dad's flat and they find and he finds Pikachu. And I was just paying a lot of attention, which I never really do, to the minutiae of the animation. So Pikachu's on the table and he's talking to Tim and his tail's kind of wagging around, his sort of lightning tail, and his ears kind of uh, casting shadow on his own body. And it's really well done. The the way that the, the tail um, casts a shadow over his body was, was just very realistic. And it was it was nice for me to have one of those moments where you suddenly just think, Someone has paid a lot of attention to getting the tiny details right where they didn't really need to. They, they, they really could have not done that sort of thing. Um, so I guess that's one part of the film that I enjoy the most. And this sort of this n- not so much motif, I suppose it wasn't that well thought through, but the sense that there was a conscious style choice of having lots of physically dark moments. Because when they're in dark rooms or at night time, it very much is dark and there's no sense that it's too well lit as a film studio it's they managed to fit the cinematography around the time of day really well actually and then when they go into the daytime and they have sort of sweeping vistas which would recall a pokemon game where you're often in grassy kind of areas that also i think actually just worked quite well the color palette was was quite appealing really to me but even if it was appealing it felt plodding because i i I can very much be an appreciator of that minutiae, that kind of attention to detail that maybe might go undiscovered upon a first viewing. And I did pick up on it. And you're right, they did work with the kind of the dark settings in the sense I was referring to earlier, like it's a tetropolis. It's it's kind of almost, there's a not seedy element to it, but there's like the Pokemon are doing things under the shadow of the moonlight. It's, it is is quite cool in that regard. But I don't care. Not because it isn't beautiful to look at, but because everything leading up to it and the narrative pushing it was so plodding and it was just quite fragmented in that, okay, and now we're doing this. Okay, we're going to this place now. We're going to this uh, underground Pokemon battle center and there's going to be hijinks that ensue but I'm like you haven't established anything here you're hoping that the crucible of them being together like any escape adventure film is going to form some bonds that I care about but they never earn them so we all had kind of collective groans later on the film when there's callbacks to sort of lines that are said in jest or cynically earlier in so Pokemon uh, Pikachu says I can feel it in my jellies that your father isn't dead and then later on, Tim says, I can feel it in my jellies, or he says something of similar, and he's like, oh, look, it's showing that he's actually getting along with each other, and, and and that's never earned. So however much I'm, like, overwhelmed by the spectacle, it all felt a little bit blunted and a bit plodding, and that is the danger of when you have all of this visual splendour and you don't have a narrative with a backbone that cares about the characters other than seeing them go through the hoops of what visual setups you've established. Yeah, going through the motions is very much what the film is about, yeah. I suppose. Um, but to talk about that, so they go to this like Pokemon illegal battle arena. Yeah, Fight Club. Pokemon Fight Club, pretty much. Because in that city, no one owns Pokemon. It's all kind of chill. It's outlawed to be doing those battles, yeah. yeah. And they find out from a guy who works there that they need to find this doctor 
because um, Mewtwo, the evolved psychic Pokemon from Mew, um, was experimented on in the secret facility and kind of was let loose, and that's where the father goes missing. And um, they kind of end up, Pikachu ha- has to end up fighting a Charizard. And is the Charizard, I'll be honest, sorry, is the Charizard another one of the starter? It's the final evolution of the first oh, fire okay. starter. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm just such a novice to this. Yeah, I'm no, no worries at all. Yeah. Um, and obviously, uh, so, so this is kind of whole subplot of this evil purple gas called uh, Serum R, whatever, yeah. which is like, makes the Pokemon go crazy. And basically the, the, the villain of the movie wants to use it to like, for some nefarious deed. And some gets spilt at this arena and all the Pokemon go crazy. And they've got these Pokemon that are giving some like, sort of dubstep stuff for the battles anyway. Yeah. And then when they go crazy, they start making this aggressively heavy dubstep that I thought was ju- I thought was hilarious. But they have they end up having a kind of fight with a magic garb that evolves into a um, giant water Gyarados thing and yeah. fights Charizard. And that was very very enjoyable to me. Mm-hmm. Not because again I I think my stress actually I'm not the biggest Pokemon fan. I played a few of the games. I really enjoyed them and and they have a place in my heart in terms of where I started mm-hmm. with Generation Four. I think it was. But I guess. They they managed to capture me with the with the com- with the Pokemon physical conflicts, which just were just amusingly done for me. Uh, and then they move from the battle place to the secret lab. So so yeah. Again, it very much just like you know, city secret illegal battle arena, secret illegal lab, kind of very yeah. classic detective plotting along. But th- stuff. But th- this is the issue I have is that like those locations in of themselves, like if you have strong narrative threads that make up that detective story then you can get away with those locations but they don't it's like the locations allow for them to move between these different places it's not like they're discovering a story and it's only in the final third that you really do just figure that stuff out and uh, for example i i'm not against that kind of pokemon fight club scene it's 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 cute enough it's 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 clever in the way that they they sort of conclude it like it's not a traditional fight and you have all of these as you mentioned pokemon that are like hyped up on i guess the pokemon world's equivalent of speed or something like that it's like <laughs> or some kind of narcotic where they're all there's actually a joke earlier where like um tim the 20 year old guy in a pg movie makes a sort of tacit reference to cocaine when he when he's trying to talk to these people in the street yeah, saying yeah. like i send this up in my gas, nose and yeah, i can yeah. talk to a pokemon help me and then they're like okay bye yeah. and he's like no not like that um so yeah he's yeah. inhaling yeah. but i no i i enjoyed that that was nice that is a midpoint in the film that uh, I thought stood out like it was, but it was still just the natural consequence of moving from one place to the other. And okay, this guy's told us this one little tidbit and let's move to here. And the pieces fitting together only came in the third act, which is usually what any detective story should do, but you need to have the intrigue. It needs to keep going. You need to be like, Oh, Oh God, what's happening next? Whereas as you go through the film, it's more like they just, peddle more and more information to you and they're supposed to they're supposed to think that it's a great detective story because they peddle so much information at the end that it confuses you into thinking who is responsible for what's gone on which is not how a good detective story should uh, be and if this was just a pokemon film if this was just pikachu the film then that's fine but this is detective pikachu which is a little bit different God, I, I, you can tell that uh, <laughs> my, my, my opinions of this film is quite heated, mainly because it's just not even bad. It's just very, very, very middling for me. And sometimes I think mediocre films are worse than terrible. The ones. most offensive ones. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah. But 
continuing on with the plot should you uh, elaborate a bit more because there is a lot to condense from this this yeah. for a child's children's film it, it's yeah. it's still pretty intricate yeah so they get to this secret lab where they find out that Mewtwo was uh, Mew was experimented on and turned into Mewtwo by these scientists in an attempt to work out how to manipulate Pokemon evolution yeah and they find out that Mewtwo actually worked with the father and the father survived and later on in the movie you find out that Mewtwo had merged the father's consciousness with the Pikachu um, to kind of help him find the son Mm -hmm. and then we'll get get to the kind of weird savior complex stuff later on but um, they basically find out that Bill Nye's character instead of his son is the evil one who's trying to work out this Pokemon serum to control everyone and like make the city a perfect union of Pokemon and human by literally merging the Pokemon with humans and making all the humans inhabit the Pokemon bodies which is obviously insane but there's moments where you think that the sun is evil and it shows up kind of silently behind giant sunglasses in yeah. a suit on a cliff just like so looking at them definitely he's got like a men in black but evil vibe to him <laughs> and if he had a mustache he would definitely be twirling it because they're, yeah. they're being very heavy handed there the about nose. he's the villain you know? and I remember when when, um, when they get to the facility and then they find um, their son has been following them or the, the son in inverted commas and when he kind of shows up kind of looking kind of in his hands in his pocket sort of over menacingly and Matty just laughing profusely in the cinema because yeah. it was so it's hilariously heavy handed it's just it's just silly it's uh, I, I don't <laughs> god I don't know why I'm getting so worked up by this film but it just is such nonsense and it it like I usually just laugh at that mustache twirly kind of villainy because it's just camp or or a bit hokey, but it it was just like really in your face, and it was and I I know why they do it because, well we can spoil this completely here, but the whole twist at the end of the film is the fact that Bill Nye's character, the founder of uh, Rhine Rhine City, yeah. the Pokemon Haven is the actual villain as you mentioned and it's not his uh, son and yeah that's a smart enough twist i guess for a children's film but it's it's so clear he's not the villain that in the last year or two when we've had a lot of subversions of expectations it happened in captain marvel happened in lego movie where you're like they're they're very insistent on the fact that this is the good guy or this is the father figure and then they go oh wait no it's not i'm just not like surprised anymore yeah, exactly and and it's become a trope in itself yeah. so the reason why you think the sun is the villain is because they um bill nye has like a ditto slave and ditto is a pokemon that can copy any any form yeah. basically so it kind of turns into the sun and the real sun's been trapped in a closet somewhere and then in ensues a fight in um bill nye's study where the ditto keeps turning into different pokemon and that itself is entertaining and then Bill Nye gets this like headset where he can control Mewtwo, <laughs> and Bill Nye is in a wheelchair because of you know some disease. Just, just because, yeah, just he's because a, he's, in a he's, he's he's an old rich man yeah. who wants to change the world. And so he of wants, course he has he to wants have, have a, a disability. Free body. He wants yeah. to have a free body. Yeah, and then he gets put in his consciousness gets uploaded into Mewtwo's body when he has this neural link set up. And then we have Bill Nye speaking in this like reverb voice in a Mewtwo body, yes. which is obviously something that would that is. <laughs> delightful absurd. as a concept it is absurd <laughs> but it's hilarious it, it's, 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 it's very funny but it's the stupidest thing I it's, think I've it's ever funny seen. that we got to this point and I think um, when I found out that Patrick Stewart was voicing um, a poo emoji in the emoji movie yeah. that was only bordering on funny because it was just so depressing yeah. but I feel like this was this was in, in a sense managed to skirt around the dignity issue by just being just so stupid and funny I, 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 think, I think as well with the Patrick Stewart thing is like the people making it knew that the comic element to it comes from the fact that it was Patrick Stewart's voice coming out of this like 
poo emoji whereas this was more like trying earnestly for him to be the villain in a pokemon which was bizarre yeah and you're right it was some weird reverb voice and like any of these films it just resorted to like stock phrases of villainy at the end is like i will make the world new again or i will you know unite us and it's just like if you've tried to make this villain compelling in the last 20 minutes you've thrown all of that work out the window the minute one you stuck him in a pokemon and two you've made him say this bizarre villainy stuff you know what i mean the funny part of that is that because it's a video game movie at the end of the day you're right about the villain stuff because it is like literally ultimate video game villain dialogue. Yeah. Like Pikachu is on like fighting with him because, and then Mewtwo's like, you can't face the future. I am the future. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, it, you're, I agree very it much is, on, it is on the money just, there. Uh, like I said, it's hokey, but I, I think some people will like it because I, I have played a few Pokemon games and it did evoke that a bit. Like, uh, you can't challenge me i'm a level this even though they don't exactly say that word it's like this power up kind of language and semantics there is one bit that we haven't discussed i just briefly mentioned it because this also elicited a strong groan for me was when his love interest the reporter we were talking about before uh, whose name once again i've forgotten uh but she she's on the ground as this gas is being spread throughout and everyone's joining with their pokemons and she's joining with her duck pokemon psyduck, yeah. yeah psyduck the screaming duck pokemon and she's just yelling at everyone don't let your pokemon inhale the gas and i'm like yeah good job love like well well done like that's really gonna stop them inhaling the gas you know what i mean like, <laughs> how are they supposed to stop that it was the stupidest line ever like mm. and it's not even her fault it's not even the actress it's just the writing was just so hammy and i was yeah. like oh i don't know that elicited a strong growth. and then basically at the very very end of the movie we have this this hilarious judeo-christian imagery where for some reason when mewtwo is restored to its own mind and the neural link is taken off him and bill nye is defeated we find out that Mewtwo thought that the dad was a nice guy. So he said, like, humanity is evil, but you've shown that you're a decent person. <sighs> and then, so, we, yeah, we find out, as I said before, that he, that Mewtwo merged, um, gave Pikachu amnesia, got rid of his, like, memories, and put the consciousness of Tim's dad inside the Pikachu body so that he, he could communicate with and so, uh, his son. And so he could survive. And so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then Mewtwo sort of ends up, restoring the dad and the dad comes back later on yeah but there's like one weird line that Mewtwo's like you fulfilled the deal you brought the son yeah like to me you brought the son back to the father or yeah like and that. it was like where is this coming from it's, it's, so, just, it's just so bizarre it's so biblical it's yeah. like it's, it's like I, I, I if I was invested in this film in any capacity I've completely was divorced from it even more so when I heard that line because I'm like this is weirdly like religious and um iconographical and biblical and i was like why is he saying it like this like is he some sort of wise sensei of the pokemon or something like that i think they were trying to make him out to be some kind of godlike figure of omniscient power and it was just a really offbeat to end the film on but the, the the real ending the real sort of reveal at the end as to who tim's father is because we never really fully see him throughout the film until the end is obviously because pikachu has merged with his father we don't see his face until the right end in which we find out that his father is actually ryan reynolds (laughs) as in he is playing his father as well as the voice of detective pikachu which obviously makes sense but it was like 
Oh, I see yeah. what you did It's there. a nice bow to tie it in with. Yeah. So we, we reached the end of the movie, and I think it's very clear at this point that Matty didn't take a lot away from it. Um, and looking objectively, it is an aggressively bland movie. But I think that the weird the weird part of it is now it's the time to give my defensive thesis of Pokemon. Go on, hit Pikachu. me, hit me. I took away enough for myself as a throwaway experience I, I i think i'm um similar to you we had a chat on the way here about isle of dogs um which is Wes anderson's most recent movie from last year which is animation uh similar to fantastic mr fox and isle of dogs is a wonderful movie it's amazingly well crafted but i knew with that experience of the movie the moment i walked out of the cinema i could feel the impression the film had made on me just evaporating uh, and the fact that i was not going to remember much about the movie after i'd seen it yeah very very similar for this like it is it's a you watch it and within about two days it's all just gone from your brain um but for me because i managed to enjoy myself weirdly so much in the cinema it's kind of all right um to call it a throwaway experience seems to fly in the face of the friendship slash partnership theme in pokemon generally because they push that in the movie where like it's about being a partner with someone establishing a connection and then being able to bring out the best in each other and then that's what the games are about as well because you end up training pokemon and kind of becoming closer to them so it seems to fly in the face of the of the sentiment of pokemon generally to say that this movie is is throwaway but for me no matter what you take away from the games as i've played a a few of them yeah for me they're very much enjoyable but they are kind of in terms of individual moments quite forgettable and it's about establishing a certain kind of package of an experience not singular moments um so that's true for the film i think as well um because there are a couple of scenes that are really that are fun and i, I want to say memorable yeah but very much not the case it's just like I, I i consumed this and i had a good time yeah sort of thing so i guess it's a pity that you didn't take away the same thing because i, I was just there to enjoy the fact that they both wanted to supply some fan service but also like the Bill Nye thing to me was just hilarious. Like yeah. just just seeing Bill Nye saying the word Pokemon, as I said earlier, is just an insanely gratifying experience to me. Okay. So if I'm if I'm to take this correctly, your your defense of it is partly based on the fact that as even if certain scenes or most scenes are forgettable, as a cohesive experience, it's something that despite being throwaway you enjoyed. And that's is- basically just yeah, it's basically just a personal thing in that like I was able to enjoy myself but I know for myself, similar to you, I can't really remember that many yeah. like lines or particular moments. It was just the fact that like it was a nice little sugar rush of, of a of a movie, and like it's a yeah, very much a encapsulated experience. No, yeah, I get that. And you know, I mean, last episode I mentioned the film that I'd seen recently was uh, Shazam, and in that certain sense, that has that kind of not forgettable factor, but it's it's just sugar rushed fun. It's not particularly taking itself very seriously and it shouldn't have to but i would hold this film in probably a considerable bit higher esteem if i cared about the sentimental values and relationships shared between tim and uh, pikachu between tim and his father between tim and this girl that he's interested in who is not developed any further beyond a paper thin interest in pokemon journalism the whole dynamics in this film are played second fiddle to spectacle that i don't particularly care about and it is a personal thing of course it is this whole show is our personal views about this stuff 
but if that center, those sentimental relationships had taken maybe five to ten more, more minutes of screen time to flesh out, maybe my overall opinion might have been a bit more of a positive appraisal. But I think we watch a lot of films for this show. We watch a lot of films in general. And if I'm going to the cinema to enjoy a film, I'm, I'm never thinking, as I said to you yesterday, oh, I'm taking a risk spending a tenner to go to see this film because I love the experience. But watching that film about 40 minutes in, I thought this is a slog. This is just an immense slog. And I, I, I feel no sense of connection or even investment in this to see it through. And I, I, I make it a point that I very rarely will turn off a film or leave. A, I've never left the cinema to see uh, a film. I, I've never thought something so bad that I've left and I never will. But if this was on TV and I watched it, it would fall into the small category of things that I refuse to see through the whole entirety of the runtime. And that includes stuff like this awkward moment with Zac Efron but always seeing the positives always seeing the silver linings we went to go see this on a Sunday afternoon I love Sunday afternoon cinema watching I think it's a very quaint experience more than any other day for some odd reason I think it just feels very familial and there were a lot of families there my brother little brother that is is often a good barometer for this stuff and if he sits down on a Sunday at home watching this on TV he's going to have a great time and so I've got to put my reservation slightly at the door when I consider who the audience is. Mm. And you're right, as a cohesive package, for someone like my brother or for someone a younger audience, they might love it. And maybe because it's been adapted from a video game um, franchise, we should probably give it a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because there's a lot worse, as we'll get on to, yeah. that have a lot worse production design and even less hard. Yeah. So, so, so just finish there, I suppose. Like we, yeah. we hundred percent agree that the emotional beats are not earned whatsoever. There, there's, there's very little labor done to make you yeah. feel like m- care for anything at all. And that there, it's so odd because there are a couple of very promising small moments, like when uh, Fenley, the detective who works for the police force, tells him about his father's death mm-hmm. and tries to console him and connect with him. And Tim's response is is sort of fairly was yeah, fairly realistic yeah. by sort of not kind of not giving into the emotion of it and not not wanting to establish that bond and wanting to leave so like a couple of those very small moments that happen like that but in general not not very well done emotionally at all so if you end up having a good time with the spectacle as i did basically then more power to you uh and if you ad- adore every single pokemon in the pokedex then then you'll also enjoy this because you'll notice um they they manage they do manage to kind of involve a couple of quirks that are seated in the individuality of the Pokemon. So the kind of the sound Pokemon that can generate the dubstep noises yeah, yeah, or yeah. Charizard that's breathing no, fire. Yeah, they're, or, they're, they're definitely yeah. nice nice little tidbits. I I don't think it's the sum of its questionable parts. Uh, go see Lego Movie Two again. I think we should probably conclude mm. that but moving sort of swiftly on but in adjacent to our discussion just now i think we should begin having a chat about the worst video game inspired films because you know despite my criticisms this has been getting decent reviews never fully trust just critical appraisal of this stuff but in relation to what's come before it <laughs> in this subgenre within yeah. cinema uh, as a video game film, um, it's doing well. Uh, I, I'll start with the get-go before we talk about individual examples. I think part one of one of the reasons why this film is doing well 
critically or decently at the very least is that it is slickly produced it it's the character beats might be a bit hammy but visually i know you had a few objections at the start it isn't bad it's it's it the, gets there the, everybody yeah, gets there the, yeah. the animation is perfectly serviceable there's some little fun tidbits as you were mentioning and i think that is actually a bar that we set maybe quite high in relation to video game films in terms of translating what works in a game in relation to a film that has you know certain cinematic conventions and especially an animated game at that i think there's a danger in the past when trying to translate video games over into the silver screen is that the bizarre parts start to take prominence and they really should be restricted and the parts that like are the essence of the characters and the story don't get enough time to be fully Mm. fleshed out so using that as a jumping off point do you have an example of a bad video game film that fits this 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 i very much do so so i agree with you in terms of the legacy of this subgenre is not promising whatsoever so for mark camoin to have called pikachu movie like actually not bad yeah it's a very good starting point so i think the only ones i've seen are prince of persia the sands of time which is jake gyllenhaal from like oh six and like back then he who is now part of the mcu in spider-man far from home which i find very exciting because i adore that actor was i think there was a sort of strange moment where jake gyllenhaal was going to be involved with disney movies generally and had a kind of big disney contract on the way but ended up cancelling it um after that movie so I, ha- I never played Prince of Persia, but I, I saw that I saw that movie when it came out in cinema a long, long time what ago. What was the full title? Is it Prince of Persia, Sands of Time? The Sands of Time, yeah. <laughs> and the, all I remember is that like there's a prince and there's a princess and there's a dagger that has like some sand in it yeah. that if you use the sand, you go back in time. Literally, I remember absolutely nothing else yeah there's a desert and that is it i, so, I, I would have i would have guessed the desert I, I i think i've seen the thing is i think i've seen it as well but you're so right it's just it's just completely forgettable like pardon the pun but it's literally like sand slipping through your fingers mm. it's it's like yeah. how do i grasp anything of narrative importance? so so again that movie is sort of like in in the inoffensive category which means that it's like boring but like not so horrifically chaotically awful that it's hilarious to talk about yeah. so the only one i've seen apart from that is lara croft tomb raider with <laughs> angelina jolie when i was ill at school once they had some like vhs videos in like the you know ill ward at school which you could which you could watch and i think i watched james bond's the world is not enough with pierce brosnan at some point um and then lara croft tomb raider with a couple of guys who were also ill and that movie is hilarious so that there's i think that the main plot is that she's she's a tomb raider she hunts she raids tombs for kind of cool artifacts and is happens to be very rich and has some good fighting skills and then the kind of climax of it is that she's fighting with the bad guys to get like an artifact as well and and like so that they didn't go into the wrong hands and the the funniest bit i recall is when at the end she's like time is poured somehow and then like there's a knife that's thrown at like her friend and her friend gets killed but they can get back in time because of something that happens in the movie and then she like gets to the point where the dagger's thrown in midair and she grabs the dagger by the blade not by the handle and like wrenches it around mega slowly because the time thing is weird and she, and she has to take a while to turn it around and then once she's turned it around 180 
it like flies back the way it was thrown oh, at the no. villain and, and kills him. And the funniest part is like her hand, like, you know, gets bloody because she's sort of cutting it by holding the blade instead of the handle. And I do not remember any reason why in the movie she didn't, she like had to avoid holding the handle of the knife to like, it's just, it was just so hilarious for her to be like, oh, this is my like emotional struggle yeah. turning this knife around to save my friend. And I did not have to feel this pain at all. Like, you, you know what that's making me think of? Sorry, just to uh, diverge slightly, but in relation to Angelina Jolie, um, isn't she in uh, Wanted with James McAvoy? Oh, it might be, yeah. Yeah, and you know um, the bit in it uh, where he gets the gun or she, t- she takes the gun and she shoots it and it curves around him. And he's like, you got to teach me how to curve that bullet. <laughs> and it's like the exact same thing. It's like, it's like really silly but you kind of let it slide yeah. a little bit so so and- the main point of that movie is that um it's an example of why video game movies don't tend to work normally because part of the stakes of a game is that you are making the choices when you're playing the character yeah. yourself and that is really hard to translate into a movie unless you have extremely strong acting or extremely strong plot outside of the plot established by the games i'm trying to work out why else video game movies don't work and i think it often might be to do with the fact that the most adoring fans of games don't and aren't the ones who end up going into film business and making a yeah. film out of it is people who think this uh product can be milked so yeah. let's see what happens uh, and that so they often feel very soulless as well no definitely yeah i i'm yeah i get that i also think that what I was just relating to previously is that it's treated on a superficial level and what is decided as worthy of making a video game film out of is often the stuff that maybe probably shouldn't and if it is they're picking the parts that are the most superficial elements of the character so um, I'll give you an example of my own in Mm -hmm. one second but just relating this to some recent news the whole Sonic the Hedgehog trailer which came out. is hilarious and i'll yeah. link that in the description yeah yeah, yeah we, we will um obviously the director slash creative team behind that responded to criticisms about his design on a superficial level and that that that, that is good i never really cared much for sonic but seeing that i go okay that's permissible the trailer maybe the design of sonic is questionable but it's fine you've got a very larger than life scene chewing um dr robotnik and jim carrey and that's completely okay and we always kind of invest a little bit of hope every time we see one of these films that it's going to be a cut above the rest but something like sonic or something like and i think you probably know where i'm going with this now like mario mm-hmm. it's there they reach a certain level or they rise into the video game pantheon in part because they're iconic and because they're not particularly like they're not characters that are like particularly deep you know what i mean that mario is, is, is an italian plumber in relation to someone like mario one of the worst <laughs> comic book films is the mario and luigi film from 1993 with bob hoskins and the actor who plays luigi who coincidentally enough i was re-watching carlito's way and he's a gangster mm. in Carlito's Way called Benny Blanco, who plays quite an important role. Interesting character, not particularly that present in it, but he's a ca- this around the same time that this film came out. And he's known for his two roles, one in Carlito's Way, a classic Brian De Palma gangster flick, and Luigi 
in that abomination of a film. It's not even a it's not even a cult classic because it's so bad. <laughs> it tries to place Mario in some kind of weird, gritty, realistic world in which you've got these horrifying looking like uh <laughs> Bowser henchmen yeah, yeah. that look like they're ironically part of like the testing going on in a detective pikachu film or you know some kind of weird screwed up laboratory experiment gone wrong and it, that film tries to like mesh the the parts of the platformer that is mario with this real world is it chicago why is he in chicago he lives in a mushroom kingdom why are they trying to set it and they're actual plumbers and they dress like that it's just silly mm. it's just silly and obviously that is a point of reference for a lot of people as the lowest of the low but there's been more yeah um do you have any more um, i don't but i mean i guess like we'll just do final comments now about video game movies and then go on to our picks of the week so basically i, I often have thought about why video game movies often fail and the answer normally seems to lie somewhere in to do with the art forms of them so i've played a few video games that i adored not just because they were enjoyable but because i thought they actually had something to say about existence yeah um so there's a great platformer called limbo which yeah. is this black and white thing where you play this boy oh, yeah i played limbo who basically great. kind of goes into this sort of strange hellish scape to tr- find his sister mm-hmm. and it's got this beautiful soft ambient music that plays and, and the kind of it see it makes you feel like your hopes are being crushed in terms of like any hope of achieving what you want to achieve with the character and it's all silent and it's a beautiful experience that kind of thing is can't be a movie because the whole like so much rests on your interaction Mm -hmm. and so much rests on the fact that you are controlling this boy that's moving through this strange black and white treescape because in that journey of you controlling him you are invested in where he's going because it's you in in, in some sense and then obviously there's great games like i'm a big dark souls fan Mm -hmm. and the first dark souls game is bloody hard game really difficult um and it has this horrifically obscure law that if you want to go into it is deep and very very profound and that there's an argument that the whole game is about depression and the whole world is is magnificently crafted and a really enjoyable experience again that game is about it's a fighting game yeah. so like you're, you're fighting all these really difficult enemies and all these things um that kind of game could work as a movie but it would have to combine spectacle with a way of establishing um an emotional payoff that's built into psyche yeah and built into like the inside of a character's mind and obviously when you're watching a movie you're watching the outside of a character's mind because you're seeing actors moving around yeah. as people and i guess that there is something that's just lost completely when you're not controlling a character in a video game and there has to be some other level that works in a movie and that you know roger ebert when he was alive was very scathing of video games and he says something like they can never be art because they fail to achieve some you know criterion of art i think that's false it's snobbish but you know it is a new art form and there's reasons why there's a backlash but i hope i kind of make making sense in terms of my arguments about video games because they are enjoyable and where they are at the moment is this this crazy level of heightened entertainment yeah. that does turn into what you do for realization yeah. instead of what you do to consume art. And the reason why Pikachu movie worked um, better than most is, as I said, because the visuals are completely fine and like it functionally operates as a yeah. visual experience. But also because Pokemon as games is like it's not 
super emotional. And I think that the way I remember experiencing the games is like, it's they're good fun. And like they, they show these cutesy environments that you're like going into and cutesy, silly villains yeah. that have no character by themselves, but like feed into silly villain stereotypes that are self-aware. I, I, I understand. And I, I, I do see that there's a problem with agency and where you place agency in video games. But I think there were always exceptions to the rules. And I, I, I know that you're aware of this, but for, my final thoughts will probably be this. Um, there are several potential projects in the pipeline for truly quality video game films. We have an Uncharted film with Tom Holland coming out. Um, I love Uncharted. They're some of my favorite games. And on from the same game company, Naughty Dog, we have a potential Last of Us game coming out, which is a game very much highly uh, thought of by many, many people in the video game community. I love it to bits. And partially the reason people love it is because it has such a strong story about the relationship between Joel and Ellie, who are two survivors in a zombie apocalypse world but the point i bring out what more widely is this i think that if video games want to be able to develop into great franchises for films there needs to be a more focus first of all on crafting even better narratives for more franchises than just focusing on translating the superficial elements of the game onto a quite poor script and the example I'll give just to end with is Spider-Man PS4. Now, I love Spider-Man PS4 to bits because it's an amazing game, but a lot of people actually like it not just because of the gameplay and because of the things that it perfects with web-slinging and, and you know, all of these villains. People like it because they some think that it might be the best Spider-Man, the best like version of Peter Parker outside of the MCU, all characterizations of it. And that's crucial. Because if you make those stories in the uh, game universe, then you can translate them and you can adapt them for films later on. But you need to crucially focus on crafting the story that matters so that the action, just like the action in a film doesn't matter unless you have that emotional link, it just works the exact same with games. So film companies need to stop focusing on the superficial iconographical oh god that's not a word but i you know the iconic yes there you got it the iconic elements and actually try and realize something more with these characters and if that means you revise certain aspects of characters that people aren't familiar with then just do it because that's going to be better than making something poor it's better than making mario and luigi number two in 20 years so yeah i think we should probably end there that's a very intelligent and perceptive way of looking at it so thanks matty that was good um should we just do one movie each that we recommend so i'll say a most violent year from 2014 starring mm-hmm. oscar isaac and jessica chastain which features i think it's 1981 setting which is apparently the most violent year in new york city's history um, a kind of oil magnate who is working to try and buy a big bit of land next to the river mm-hmm. so he can kind of expand his company and get mega rich, basically, and he's, do- he's already doing well, he tries to avoid being a mob boss because the temptation is basically start working with crime and then you can cover your back because his his trucks kept getting hijacked by low-level thugs who are working for big mob bosses so that they can steal the oil and he's trying to navigate this while also trying to buy land from these um from these jewish dudes yeah a real slow burner uh it's it definitely takes its time um it's a movie that when it ended had it had worked so hard to establish a world and i really respected that from the movie i wasn't sure if i was going to love it to bits when i started watching it um but 
a really powerful experience and just some really solid acting there in a kind of good noir crime movie that knows where to put the plot beats in terms of crime and to deal with crime and character in a very cohesive way so yeah. I recommend that so Oscar Isaac was that yeah, yeah. most violent yeah yeah. Perfect. yeah I've been meaning to watch that okay uh, my suggestion for this week is sort of a semi-suggestion because I'm still mixed about it uh, Crash which was obviously the 2005 Oscar winner to some contention and I know I kind of maybe mentioned it when we were talking about Green Book in terms of contentious Oscar winners in relation to maybe some superior contenders among the Academy Award nominees uh, but Crash sees a day, a day and a half carried out from several different perspectives within Chicago in which racial tensions are particularly high and as the name of the film suggests all of this comes to an end through uh, a crash or a interaction between loads of these uh, characters as they go about their days but it's all kind of worked under the conceit of racial tension as I mentioned and sort of arguments and, and drama that's based off or predicated off racial identity and prejudice now crash has a kind of propensity to become a bit preachy at times there are some really interesting build-ups for some certain characters that you think are just wholly prejudiced and then they surprise you and it and then people who you think are more uh, progressive don't and that is interesting it makes for compelling drama but there's also these just horrendously stilted scenes in which characters talk about race like no one talks about race in real life you know sort of whereby like the conversation just completely pivots into a discussion about like racial discrimination and i know that's the point that they're trying to make the whole film centered around that and i i, I respect that and it's always hard to talk about that stuff in films without coming across as preachy but that does detract it from it a little bit had the screenplay been a bit tighter found a few more inventive ways to talk about that stuff then I would have probably found it a lot more compelling. But I do think people should watch it because as an Oscar contender, it does speak to what we are opinions and the zeitgeist was 10 years ago, what it is now with Green Book's victory. Hmm. So Crash, 2004, 2005 Oscar victory. Uh, give it a uh, watch. Don Cheadle, Terrence Howard, Fanny Newton, so many actors and wow. Matt Dillon. So yeah, yeah you give it a watch. Crash. Okay, good stuff. All right. Well, we really enjoyed having this episode talking about video games and movies. And... We'll and see you next time. Conflict. And racial conflict at the very end as well. Why <laughs> yeah, not throw it yeah. in there? Okay. okay. Yeah, Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Oxide Film. Thank you and good night.